0: To another episode of the Music Business Podcast. Today, we'd really like to uh, make a very special thanks to our first sponsor. Nah, we ain't got no sponsors yet. Nah, we but we looking for them though Yeah, yeah if you know them, anybody though. that's trying to sponsor the podcast <laughs> at Music Business Podcast? It's, it, it, it's up. <laughs> yeah. um, today, we want to switch things up a little bit. I think today we're getting some awesome questions from the community. Um, so we're going to switch it up. We're going to answer some of your guys' questions and then Jordan and I are going to be going a little bit deeper into what we do specifically and some of the tactics that we're using in our day-to-day jobs that we think you guys might be able to use for in your guys' careers as well. Um, so the way it's going to work, we're going to do a little brief introduction. We're going to answer some fan questions and then Jordan and I are going to take turns just diving deep, uh, into what we do on a more tactical level. So, you want to introduce yourself at in more depth uh, now that the community has grown over time? Yeah. Who, who are you? I'm Jordan Williams. I'm an artist manager at EQT.
1: Um, I do management work, which is higher level thinking, as well as day-to-day management work, which is just execution. I do uh, assistant work when needed, and I do marketing when needed. So I'm all across the board. Who do you guys manage? We manage uh, Goldlink. We manage Brahana, manage JPEG Mafia, Smino, Masego. Garen, Sean, Cadepo, just to name a
0: few. Nice. Um, Awesome. And then myself, I'm Sam. I'm the uh, partner and co-founder of a company called Knox. We essentially help artists create and distribute content so they can grow their audiences and then get people to listen to more music, increase their booking rates, really just try and create sustainable long-term careers. Um, So today, let's just jump right into some of these questions from uh, the fans, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. Number one, um, from underscore, God bless Byron. How do you organically go about surrounding yourself with people who can tune your ears? So I guess this is a question more to me. Yeah. Um,
1: I think you just have to be around people you know aren't bullshitting you, man. I think the moment somebody tells you something you don't want to hear and you feel that pain, but you can also feel growth, that's the people you keep around. If people are just saying they... They like your music all the time, or they like your artists all the time, then you don't want to surround yourself with those people constantly. I mean, those people are obviously great for support when you need it, but in just terms of being honest and being around people who are being honest, you got to keep those people around you the most. And I try to do that when I'm managing artists too. I try to be as honest as I can with the artists that I work for. You know, if I hear something, I'm like, yo, you might want to change this melody a little bit, or you might want to change the way this hook. And so this cadence is, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. I'm also, I'm also not afraid of them saying, "You can go fuck yourself." But that's the part about being honest is you never really know what each person is going to say. So I will go about surrounding yourself with people who can tune your ears by surrounding yourself with people who are honest and genuine to who they are and to and to you. Well said. All right, let's go to the next one from uh, at Jesse Frank. Been talking to him for a little bit. Super smart guy from Chicago. What would you guys say is the most effective and beneficial form of marketing and promotion? You can go ahead first.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. I think you, uh, I mean, there's blog write-ups. I think you listed out a couple in your question. Blog write-ups, syncs, radio, ads, to build on that. I mean, socials, building up your following across your socials, influencer features. Um, I think it's very important at the highest of levels to have a very holistic integrated marketing approach where you're trying to get some momentum across all of these different outlets. I would have to say the most effective, um, in my experience would be, I think you building up your own social community and your own fan base is the one is one of the audiences that you have the most control over. If you look at radio blog write-ups, um, that's a flash in the pan. It comes, it goes. It doesn't necessarily always translate into like sustainable long-term fans. So I think if you acquire those fans and you start building and creating momentum and a snowball effect with your social audience, then when you do have a new album six months from now, you can, it's easier for you to reach those people again. Um, with that said, I think in order to grow your social following, it helps to tap into these different things. It helps to get the blog write-ups. Um, but even then, I think there's, Things you could be doing to win organically on the platforms, creating a lot of content, making sure it's very engaging. So you're getting just in front of a lot of people organically. Um, and then also, too, I think one thing isn't necessarily like a traditional form of uh, of like a marketing channel, but it's like any level of influencer collabs, whether you're paying somebody to get a shout out and get featured on a, on a page like at rap, or you're just linking up with a bunch of artists and kind of featuring each other in your guys' stories or on your feeds, that's a very organic way to cross-pollinate audiences. And I think it's just one of the most effective ways to, like, quickly grow a social following. Yeah, Um, I think
1: everything that I would say is, like, pretty much in line with that. Um, I think one thing this year that kind of blew me away was this cross-pollination that you're talking about here, especially with artists who are on each other's songs. You know, um, I've been a part of records that ended up, you know, putting some of our artists at a much higher place than I expected them to be when the song first came out you know Um, that cross-pollination from socials it's also cross-pollination from music featuring people in your songs working with people constantly I think that's like a thing that's like super underrated just in terms of marketing in itself it's just literally just working with people in whatever way you can
0: totally and I think I mean you want to get creative I mean even some of our, one of those artists I work with, her name is Blondish. Um, she's like a tech house DJ and producer and she's really into, um, sustainability. She's actually right now very much pushing this initiative of buy, Bye plastic, getting different festivals, clubs, venues to get rid of single use plastic, straws, mm. silverware, yeah, plastic bags. That, yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it, it's a major issue. Plastic pollution is out of control. There's like, hundreds of miles of just floating plastic in the middle of the ocean. Um, but she's finding interesting ways, and even when we're we she essentially organized a beach clean in Tulum. And after the beach clean had taken place, we created this cool recap video. And then we found all of these different Instagram pages that were focused on sustainability, on eco-friendliness. Um, so you're able to get it featured for free. You just reached out to a bunch of these pages and said, we thought uh, we think this might make sense with your community. You think right. we think they'd like it. And then we ended up getting them all to like share that and push it out. So I think collabs with other influencers doesn't always have to be other musicians. I think you could find other interesting like sub communities, other like subtopics where there's a very organic synergy and overlap. And then right. I think you should exploit that. And I even think as an artist too, it's like figuring out, outside of your music what are your brand pillars what makes you unique um and then finding other really kind of notable communities that are already winning within those brands or within those brand pillars yeah cool um all right so another question is from at chris chow underscore how does one get into doing a and r for a label been applying to the big three and haven't had any luck
1: I'm wondering if he's applying as someone who wants to work as an ANR or someone who wants to intern. I think being an ANR, I think that's one of the biggest areas, in my opinion, where you need to have a mentor. Just like Brian, when he came here and said he had a mentee under him asking a lot of questions, and now that mentee works for him, who's also a friend of mine. Um, I think that's a really big way of, of doing it, it's just networking with people and, and interning under them and just learning whatever you can. I think applying cold turkey to be an A and R is really difficult. I just think that's a really difficult thing to do. There are some positions where you can do that, like marketing. Like you can kind of learn marketing in a couple of different places, right? Mm-hmm. And you can bring those skills and those assets to whatever company you go to. But if you A and R under somebody and you kind of learn how their ear works and how their ear works in conjunction with the company that they already work for, mm-hmm. if you intern under them then they'll know how your ear works and how your ear will fit into
0: the story of that company and it'll just be easier to get into the fold. I th- I, that's for sure. That's what I, think. I mean, A&R aside, I think oftentimes when you're applying to work at like big companies, like the big three, like major labels, um, you might not even learn as much because if you're an intern or have an entry-level job at like a major corporation, you're a much smaller little cog within that machine. Right. So an easier path may also be finding smaller labels, smaller management companies, smaller event promotion companies, and finding a way to work with them. Um, You might not necessarily be an A&R right off the bat, but you're going to get your foot in the door into the industry. You're going to be able to develop more experience, um, more connections, find mentors. You'll be uh, cared for more. Yeah, and you'll likely yeah. just have generally more r- responsibility and more exposure into other facets of the business. So that way, by the time you do maybe want to go for an A&R job at one of those major labels, you'll already have a little more leverage. You'll have some more specific experiences you can speak to. Um rather than just like firing off cold applications into the black hole of right. these major labels. Right. Um so one question from uh Sam Fundens. Uh how you got to where you are from being brand new in the business? It's a good question for both of us. Yeah. So I mean and I, I think you want to, I mean, it's interesting. We were just kind of talking about kind of getting your foot in the door. You want to speak to your experience first? Mine?
1: Um, there's a couple of things I think I attribute to. I still feel like I'm brand new in the business, honestly. honestly, I've, I've only been working in the business for like three years. Um, interning a couple years before that. But I think being annoying is pretty big. You know, really going after the mentors that you want in your life. And uh making sure that you get that lunch with them and you get that coffee with them and you appreciate their time, you value them. I think that's really big, getting a mentor. Um, and I think the other thing is just knowing what you don't know and being okay with what you don't know. Like like Brian was saying to go back to his to go back to his podcast, there are a lot of people that he interned that that interned under him that just pretended like they knew everything. They said, Oh yeah, 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 no, I got it, I got it. I think that'll kill any relationship you have, first of all. And it'll kill your your ability to just gain more knowledge about whatever you want to learn about, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, early on, I had to quiet my ego so much. I didn't even know I had one. I had to quiet it so much and just be like, bro, I'm sorry, man. Just tell myself, like, you don't know shit, bro. (laughs) Like, you just got to keep learning. You really don't know shit. So, take this mentor that you got, which at the time was Dan Freeman. Learn from him, and then it's pivoted obviously to the to the three co the two co founders of my company, Henny and Dan. I would consider two big mentors of mine. Just take take what you can from them, learn what you can from them, and just be okay with being wrong, man, and fail fast, fail forward. You know, artist management is scary, yeah. so uh, just be okay with with failing forward, and and you know, depend on support from your mentors when you need it.
0: Totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I I started kind of getting into the world i mean i've always been like a big music fan great school like high school started going to a lot of shows when i was in college still very much into music and then towards like the last two years of my time at college when i was at Fordham university up in the bronx i started uh actually like throwing parties where we'd like broker deals with different venues in the city uh schools up in the bronx so we just get a bunch of people to like buy tickets and come out to events in the city mm-hmm. and then um we started booking DJs and then graduated from college and was, like, still kind of interested. So, we got to book, like, some DJs that I really, really liked. Um, still, like, smaller, more emerging. But that was very much, like, a self-starter way to just see the opportunity and kind of get some industry experience by starting a company. Um, and then I, like, stopped doing music work for a while for, like, Four or five years, I kind of went deep in. I was working with a lot of different like startups, tech startups, um, doing digital marketing. But then I, as I grew older, I was like, I really love and kind of miss working more in music. So I was able to try and find a kind of tangential way into the industry rather than like getting deep experience working at a music related company. I got a bunch of music related, I got a bunch of marketing related experience um, that became very valuable in the music industry. Um, and then now recently, I've been just doing that full time, really focusing primarily on taking this like digital marketing and content production, ex- like expertise, if you will, and applying it to the music industry. And I, I find it an interesting approach when you kind of take that tangential route, just because I think you can oftentimes like shortcut a fair amount of steps by not necessarily having to like work up through the ranks. But I think at the end of the day, Still early, still learning. Don't have all the answers. It's what's been working for me, and I think I, uh, I'm excited to continue to grow. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I agree. Cool. Um, at Setting Music, asked about the nuts and bolts in, of creating content. So I think I'll take this because we create tons of content for our the artists we work with every single week. We're creating like twenty to fifty plus pieces of content for all of our different clients. Kind of crazy, um, but I think it starts at a very high level because I think before you actually start focusing on the nitty gritty of creating content, you really need to identify like um as an artist or as an artist you're managing or working with like what makes them unique. We were speaking about this a little bit with like blondish and like finding what are those different sub communities that that they're interested in, what are their interests? The way we tend to break it down is we'll identify what are like the three or four core brand pillars of an artist, the three or four core factors that make them unique. And then we go a step further and talk about, okay, what are the different like early adopter fan personas? Mm. Who are the the types of fans that will be really interested in that artist? Um, and then from there, then we start to brainstorm specific content ideas that kind of marry the two, right? Like this person has these brand pillars and is trying to develop a deeper community with amongst these fan bases, what are some interesting content opportunities? Um, I mean, I, I think the low hanging fruit on content is always just like documenting an artist doing their day-to-day thing in the studio. I mean, if right. they, they, they have a natural charisma, it's nice because then you could just tap into that and find some fun clips. Same goes for cool photo shoots. I think the creative process, a lot of fans generally care a lot about like, the creative process. So if you can bring them into the studio, if you can have an artist talking about their song, how they came up with the song, decisions they made in the creation process of the song, that's good. But then I think you want to get like specific and really come up with some unique ideas given your personality, what you like, your interests. It's very much a, I mean, search of authenticity and self-awareness of identifying like what makes you you and how can you really portray that online. And then when it comes to creating content, I mean, I think for emerging artists, you got to be a little bit scrappier. You can choose stuff on your iPhone. You can edit it using iPhone apps. There's tons of apps. Pixel Loop is an app I like right now for like photo editing and adding light animation and and cool stuff. Um, But you can essentially – you just got to capture stuff and turn it into fun content. So I'd say take photos, roll video whenever possible, have a friend – uh, get some shots of you while you're at the studio. If you're meeting somebody influential, get a photo with them, see if you can record the conversation with them. Um, And then I think that the last step is just doing this in a way where it's lending itself to like very consistent content. I think a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot because they're not building a level of consistency in releasing content. And I think similarly to music, if like when it comes to content, I think you should be shooting to post at least once a day across all different social channels. Um, I think that's kind of like minimum when it comes to building up some organic momentum across these different platforms. So I think you just got to look at the lay of the land, constantly capture content, Constantly cut it up so you have and you know what content's getting ready to go out. And then when there's a key show or a key song that's getting released, then yeah, then you could start to get creative around yeah. like, okay, what's some unique content I could create around this song or some unique content I can create around this show? Most of the time when artists think about content and, and digital, they oftentimes spend too much time focusing only on those moments when they're trying to promote things rather than just right. the ongoing fun content, which is what's really right. going to help them grow their audience. Um, So I think you definitely got to balance the two. And if anything, I'd say like skew heavier towards the fun content to just grow your community because that's – therefore, when you actually like release music, um, you'll have a bigger audience that already cares about it. Right. And I also think just to go deeper in the tangent, I think like a lot of labels kind of sc- – screw that up and really just focus on when an artist is like on cycle, getting ready to release an album, going and, and touring. That's when like record labels, major labels really start to deploy like marketing resources and pay attention to an artist. And the other nine months out of the year, it's all on the artist. They're not really spending that much time focusing on that. When I think at the end of the day, it's like, now more than ever, it's twenty four seven game. You need to constantly be engaging with your fan base, growing that community, so that when it does come, when you do go on cycle, like you have a, a fan base that's like excited to get your content. Last right. thing I'll say too is like, as you grow, if you could have a videographer and graphic designer on your team, that's you meet, get them as soon as you can. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, it's a very smart investment. Um, I mean, I think it's like. It's a content game, man. As, but as important as it is to, like, make good music, like, I think you need to, if not you, your team, your the creators, the videographers, graphic designers, like, you need to be cranking out content just because yeah. given the, today's, like, digital landscape, that's how you're going to, like, build a fan base, grow an audience. And I think it's, like, you need to treat it as such because it's just as pivotal in your career as, like, making good music. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean... I come from a little bit of a different place. I always think the music is the most important thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I don't disagree with that for sure. But I I think it's – I feel you tend to see more artists with great music but no content and no audience than you do – I, I think I just hate seeing the situation where an artist has great music, but they don't have an audience and right. when they release it, it goes absolutely nowhere because right. they've completely neglected the the side of creating content and growing yeah. an audience. I see that all the time. Yeah. I see that all the time. Cool. All right. Let's shift gears into to some questions and we'll put you on the hot seat. We got five minutes to go in on each other. Okay. Okay. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jordan sitting up. Okay. Um, <laughs> So as as a manager, I mean, jordan has been able to work with managing a lot of awesome artists. Works op, does kind of leads operation across a, a lot of these different artists within the management company EQT. Um, I think for starters, when should your artist sign to a label? I think a lot mm-hmm. of artists are. Thinking about that question, they don't know. I mean, a lot of them are still like too early to even consider that question, but are still like, oh, I need to sign to a label. And maybe it's like, maybe you don't. Maybe you need to do this first.
1: I think actually it's the exact opposite. I think most of the artists I run into are like, I'm never signing the label ever. You will never let me sign a label. Like, you I, I don't care who you are. I never sign to you. I don't care mm-hmm. if you're Jesus Christ himself. I think it, I think you always, you always in the industry have to look at the context of your situation. Mm -hmm. You always do. Sometimes it's going to make sense to sign to a label. Sometimes it's not. Um, One thing that a label provides is is cash flow, right? Like um, if your music is doing really well, but you need a little bit of a surplus of cash flow, does it make to to take that cash in advance for some points on your master? You have to look at that. You have to look at what resources does the label have? Can they really take me to the next level? Then most importantly, you have to look at the team who is going, who's going to work my record? Do they know me? Do they know how to promote my record to get it in the right places? Do they have the radio connections to get it in the right places? Do they have the DSP connections through the distributors to get it to the right places? You have to ask yourself all of these questions before you even think about signing to a label. And then when they do, when you, when you are getting deals, then you have to ask those questions when you're in the room with the label, you know? Um, So I guess to answer your question, it just depends on your situation. I know that, I know that's like, a shitty answer to the to the question, but I feel like a lot of people, and a lot of people may be upset to hear that, but there's no rhyme or reason to when or why you should do it. Some people should never do it. Some people should do it a little bit earlier in their careers. It just depends on where you are.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, as somebody is just like, I think create the leverage is one of the most valuable things. I think the more leverage you have going into those conversations with the label, the more favorable terms you're going to get. To yeah, than, but that's just
1: business, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, That's just business. That being said, there are labels now that don't, they're not trying to fuck artists over like they used to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are labels out there that really just care about the artists no matter yeah. what, you know? Mm-hmm. I think once the label goes into a situation and it's like, yo, how much can we get from this artist and leave them as little as possible by why we get as much as we want? That's, like, not a conversation that people have as much, I don't think, anymore. There's still deals out there like that. Yeah. T- I just talked about one literally the other day with an artist. <clears throat> but, you know, there are labels now that aren't playing that shit anymore, mm-hmm. that aren't playing those games like that anymore, you know? Totally. So
0: Totally. Um, so... What systems do you have in place? I know as a manager, there's like you're constantly tuggle, juggling tons of different things. So being able to stay like productive and focused to make sure you're prioritizing the right things is essential. So what systems do you have in place?
1: Um, I have Trello. That's like my baby, Trello. Um, I have a few boards. I make sure I can see my boards all on one page. Uh, the first board is an in board. So that board is just for anything, any task that I have to do and I have to organize. Literally everything goes into the in board. I have a, a today board, and on that is everything that I need to do or get done that day, and that's practice because it takes practice to know how much you can get done in a day. I've, I've aimed way too high sometimes, I've aimed way too low sometimes. <clears throat> I have a project board, stuff that I may not get to that day, but that I still need to keep an, a pulse on. Um, I have a waiting board. The waiting board is when I'm waiting for a third party to get back to me. So that's like if I ask somebody a question for a project to move forward and I'm waiting for them to get back to me or I'm waiting for the artist to tell me something to move the project forward. Um, I have a Maybe Someday board, which is sort of like ideas and notes. And then obviously I have an intern task board and that's just to keep myself on track with that. So Trello is like a huge thing for me. Timing myself is also huge. So I do 25 minutes on, 20, uh, 25 minutes on 5 minutes off all day and I try to get 14 of those done before I leave the office. It doesn't sound like it's a lot because like, 14 or whatever. That's like seven hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's undistracted. It's no distracted. It's supposed to be undistracted, you know, undistracted yeah. time. So yeah. when you really are at your computer and you're, and you're getting text messages and emails and things like that, that time is, is a lot less than you think it is, you totally. know. So I try to have that much undistracted time <laughs> a day. Sometimes I hit it. Sometimes I don't. Today I got 10. So I didn't get, I didn't get 14. Or I got 11 today. I didn't get 14. Um, but it's a goal I try to hit before I leave the office every day. That's awesome.
0: One, another question. Um, How early should a contract come into play for management? I know a lot of managers to net just have like verbal agreements and there's some like famous managers with major clients that say on record, they like never, it's always just been verbal. Whenever Um, you're worried about it. Yeah. That's That's what I think you should do it. Whenever you're
1: making money and you're not sure if a contract is necessary or not, that's when I think you should get a contract. You know, if you guys want to do a handshake agreement and then work off of a handshake agreement, you never talk about it again. And the money's going right where it should to you, 20 percent to the artist, 80 percent things are working smooth. You might not need a contract. You may not ever need one. But the moment you're like, damn, should I get a contract? Just draft one up. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, just yeah, get yeah. one at that point, because it's going to get bigger and bigger. You're going to keep worrying. Right. You're going to keep worrying. Just draft one up right
0: then. That's what I would do. Totally. Totally. Cool. Um Last question. How do you learn how to be a better manager?
1: Um, You got to do it from a lot of different resources. The biggest thing is experience. Obviously, there's no teacher-like experience. But um, I think being around people who are smarter than you as much as you can. Literally, as soon as I meet somebody who's smarter than me, it's like, damn, let's go get drinks. Let's go get (coughs) lunch. Let me interview you on a podcast. You know what I mean? So um, you got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. You got to also... On the flip side of that coin, stay humble. So like my interns come in and they taught me stuff that I never would have learned if they hadn't come or if I was by myself. So it's not always people who are smarter than you. You just have to have an open mind towards everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, man, just like read, like literally read as much as you can. Try to educate yourself. Like that's still a very important part of this industry, important part of every industry whether that's music industry books or whether that's business books, just like read, even if it's like 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. One big thing for me was I realized how much time I was on my phone every day. I used to wake up every day and get on my phone for like 30 minutes. So I instead, I like put my phone in a different room and I wake up and grab my book for those same 30 minutes because I know I have that time, right? Because I've been using it on my phone. So I grab that book for 30 minutes and then I get up and start getting ready for the day. So...
0: It's awesome.
1: All right, man. You off the hot seat. Your turn, bro. You passed. Your yep. turn. So I get, I get like hella nervous whenever I'm involved in ads. And you've actually worked with me on ads for my company. And I'm always like, yo, just let Sam do it. Because I, <laughs> I have no idea when, when, when to use an ad, how much money to put into an ad, how to analyze that data. So for you, when, when, is, it, when is it important to run an ad and how do you know when the ad is successful?
0: Great question. Uh so ads. I think there's for artists tends to be two core opportunities, maybe three to run ads. One is like pushing a single, pushing a record, an album, mm-hmm. one is pushing a show, and then the last is like if you're in the luxurious position where you have ad spend, then you could just like kind of accelerate your follower growth. Like you can just run ads to help like accelerate your community fan base growth. Right. Um and it's actually interesting because like Gary Vee spent a lot of money growing his Instagram by paying for shout outs and just finding like viral pieces of content and paying other pages to get it featured on their page. So I think there's, uh, if there's money available, I think that's an easy way to kind of like stack the odds and like build up a fan base. Right. Um, so beyond that too, okay. So say it's a, say you're trying to push a single. Um, I think generally speaking, there's two types of ads you could run. One is, You'll run ads that are focused on driving traffic to different streaming platforms. So this will tend to be like Facebook or Instagram ads, where it's people scroll up, uh, through their feed and they see the ad, or it's Instagram story, um, and then it just drives straight to the DSPs. The other in that situation is when you're paying for shoutouts, and I think the one interesting thing about paying for shoutouts is that because it's still a relatively like earlier kind of less competitive advertising form, like it's not like. Right now, if you buy an ad on Facebook, you're competing against every other major corporation that's buying ads on Facebook from an right. advertiser perspective. Right. When it comes to like paying for shout outs, where you have to, you have to like DM an Instagram page like at rep, um, don't get me wrong. There's other artists doing that. But just generally speaking, it's like – Hasn't been tapped into yet. It, right. I mean it's still a very manual process. It's earlier right. on in its life cycle. And I think that's from an ad buying perspective, you're always trying to find that like underpriced attention, right? What are – where can you be an early mover where there's not as much demand from an advertiser perspective? So that way you're able to get better economics on your ad spend. Right. Um, so one thing about the Instagram thing is you're able to like pay for shoutouts. outs. You can, you end up like getting a lot more views by a lot more people at a lower cost, but it's Instagram makes it kind of hard to like drive traffic off. Instagram with like Lincoln bio versus like an ad where it has the like button, like in the ad. So I think it's, we tend to do like a 60, 40 split. We'll put like sixty percent towards driving traffic to DSPs, um, and then forty percent towards Instagram shout-outs. Um I think we've done and worked with budgets across like a, a major range. I mean, when pushing singles anywhere from like five hundred dollars to three thousand dollars. And I know for like major singles it's gone tens of thousands of dollars. I think sky is the limit. I think uh if you have some money to play around with, like go for it. I, I think it can help you get in front of potential fans. I, I think if you're like super early on in your career, I definitely spend more time prioritizing organic content opportunities and ads. I think it's like when it just comes to the landscape of your career, I think it's a bit of a luxury to use ads and I right. think it, it's valuable and it's impactful and will help you reach a lot of people. But as an emerging artist, chances are you don't have the money to put into ads. and If anything, you should make more music, create more content rather than putting it into ads Um for parties. I think, We've seen a lot of really awesome results. I mean, for some of our clients, we're getting like, we've seen over like 7x return on ad spend when trying to push tickets to an event. Um, I think for ad, once again, we tend to do a split between driving traffic to a ticket sales page versus getting people to RCP to Facebook events. Um I think you can, it makes sense to kind of invest into both because a lot of times when people are trying to figure out whether or not they want to go to an event, they'll just look at Facebook and see who's, if their friends are going and whatnot. So I think if we just drive all the traffic to the ticket sales page, it's not as effective as actually creating the social proof in the Facebook events. Um, and I mean, yeah. And I, I think at once again, ad spend sky is the limit. I mean, we've driven results for a couple hundred dollars promoting shows to thousands of dollars. And I know for like major festivals, it's tens of if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in ad spend going yeah. to promote shows. I think one cool thing about um, promoting shows and which is why I'm very excited to like continue working with promoters and experiment more in that realm is because it's, it's it can be very like black and white ROI. Because if you are using Eventbrite or a couple of different sites where you can implement a Facebook tracking pixel, mm. you can actually see, like, okay, this is how many people bought tickets after first hearing about the event or first visiting the ticket sales page as a result of clicking on one of the ads.
1: Is that what tracking pixel does? Tra- it, tra- it tracks clicks?
0: Yeah. And then you can actually track purchases and purchase wow. value.
1: Wow. So then I can
0: see that I've spent $5,000 in ads. And driven twenty thousand dollars in ticket sales off of people that engaged with those ads and then went on to purchase tickets Wow, yeah, so we love doing that because it's just very it's, it's success is a lot more binary and black and white, like we can see, okay, we had a positive ad uh, return on ad spend, it was four x five x, like we should spend more and we can scale more the song, it's cool, but measuring the success is a little more arbitrary. I mean, you can see how many streams you drove. You can see how many people were reached by the song and engaged with the content. Um, but you're not making that money back as return on ad spend by your royalties off streams. I <laughs> right. mean, it's a much like um, – it's a much more ambiguous thing. I mean, nonetheless, I do th- still think it's very valuable. And I, I think also – one thing we like to do is when a song is being released, like the algorithms on Spotify and iTunes like are paying attention to this spike, like the initial post. Even on like when you post an Instagram post, like how well it does within the first like 10 to 15 minutes largely dictates how much organic distribution mm-hmm. it'll get to other people. Right. Same goes for Spotify. If a song just gets released on Spotify and they see a ton of saves, a ton of people liking and listening to the entire song, adding it to playlists. Then that kind of alerts their algorithm. Ooh, maybe we should plug this and discover in people's individual Discover right. Weeklies. Maybe right. the, the playlisting teams at Spotify are like, "Oh shit!" Like this song's getting a lot of traction. So I think that's why we're running ad campaigns for songs. We tend to just do a very like one to two week long max period of like a heavy promo on that song. Um I guess the last thing I mean, targeting. I mean, you can get very nitty gritty on targeting. I think. For starters, for bigger artists, like make sure you're targeting your fans. You can target – you can create custom audiences and like target people that might not be a fan or a follower but has like engaged with your content in the past. Um, hit them up. Then you can start creating like lookalike audiences where Facebook is essentially like, okay, all of your fans have these trends in common. Let's create a new audience of people that aren't your fans but do – that share these similar trends. Um really powerful tools. So those are called lookalike audiences and Facebook. So I'd make lookalike audiences off of your fans. And then you can start targeting people interested in similar artists, similar brands. Um Those are the best. I mean, and then the last, I think it's cool if you're like running a management company and then you could start like, if you know, Masego's fans and Goldlinks fans are similar. Like you could start targeting Goldlinks fans with Masego's uh, music and content. Like, I think I find that stuff really interesting. Um, so that's very high level, low level ads. Dope. Let me dive. Yeah, I think dope. that we're good for now. Yeah, there. No, that was great. That was great.
1: Um, I know, obviously, like ad spend, marketing, the whole thing, content strategy can take a little bit of time for somebody to actually see the return on investment for that sort of thing long term especially for artists so what are like some I mean but people are obviously going to want to know like what are some growth
0: hacks in yeah. a situation people where you always, can kind of like everybody wants the shortcuts yeah I mean yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure
1: yeah. the like biggest growth hack YouTube video right now has like millions and millions of, of yeah. plays yeah I mean I think <laughs> like more than like how do you do it right and slow <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no it's everything I mean people want the like the six pack abs but don't want the right. like six oh, months. Yes. work Workout program exactly. with like calorie counting. Right. Um, yeah. I think for, so I'd say before I get to the, like the little growth hacks, which I think are like nice to haves on top of a foundational strategy, I'll just speak briefly to the foundational strategy. I think three things, content, partnerships, and potentially paid. I think you need to constantly be creating content Engaging with your audience, paying attention to what sort of content is resonating with them best, trying new things, making sure you're just creating awesome content that's getting a lot of engagement. Partnerships. Are you doing influencer collabs? Are you finding ways to get your content featured by other communities, by other influencers? And then lastly, paid. If you have budget available, can you help like accelerate things by putting some paid media on it? I think if you do those – like I think paid is optional, but I think partnerships and and consistent content – Foundational, And if you're not doing that consistently, none of these growth hacks are going to do a thing for you. Right. Um, so on to the growth hacks. On to um, the growth hacks. Right now, I think whenever these different social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, release new features, they tend to give a lot of algorithmic love to those features to yep. try and foster adoption. So right now, Instagram TV um, came out like 6 to 12 months ago, but recently they added the feature where you can share from Instagram TV to your feed. Um, that's getting a lot more additional exposure and reach in the in the Instagram algorithm, so one of the best things you can start doing right now is just start posting more instagram t v videos and then sharing that to your feed um that's one big thing i think uh the other i mean growth hack i mean I think this is also a bit of a harder work thing that isn't just like night like one night side, like quick quick growth hack, but right. it's I think influencers in general I think people tend to like I think influencers are the most under, like, influencer organic partnerships, finding clever ways to co-create content with other people that have an audience similar to your target audience. Um, I think if you can find ways to co-create content with other people, super, super valuable. And I think people just don't spend enough time doing it, but it's like those, it, the communities of fans you're after already exist. The best way to tap into them is just to create content with the people that run them and then they'll repost it. I mean, even with our podcast, right? We're bringing guests on and then they're sharing it with their fans and their followers. Mm-hmm. Um, basic stuff, but just like caption, I mean, engaging content, like content that drives engagement will get more reach. So that's so why asking questions in your captions, um, doing things that encourages people to, to comment will help you reach more people. Um, and then the last thing too, I think is like, Super timely content. I think if you're able to – Like culturally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean the amount of artists that like covered Old Town Road and rode That Wave was big. I think um, – I mean there were songs. There were like rappers going viral for like freestyling over that beat. I think that's like huge. And I think you need to find those timely moments. And and not only is that a great way to engage your current community and in doing so, like Instagram is like, oh, this post is getting a lot of engagement. Let's show it to more people. But then it's also a cool way to like resonate with other potential fans to like ride a cultural trend. Um, so I'd say const- constantly pay attention and see how you can come up with like interesting like ideas to ride interesting trends.
1: Right. Um, who are some artists that you think are like really killing the con get content game right now?
0: Um, I think Diplo is an interesting place. I know he's got a, like a solid team supporting him and like um like even. Writers and having like writers rooms where they're constantly like coming up with different ideas around different content. Um, I think he crushed it. I think his content's funny. I think it's personal. I think it's organic. I think he goes from like super timely stuff. Like, um, and I mean, one interesting thing too is he'll like create moments. Like he just released a remix of Old Town Road. And he got, he was playing at Stagecoach, which is like a major country music festival. And then he had like Lil Nas he was, X. He played at Stagecoach too? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He played at Coachella also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was going <laughs> super hard. And he brought out Lil Nas X and Billy Ray Cyrus to his performance at Stagecoach. Got a clip, used that clip of them, uh, like live debuting the song to launch the record. And it's absolutely crushing the internet. I think that's a massive scale. And. For you to get uh, the artists of a number one charting song right now to open up at your show as our listeners might not happen, <laughs> but I think you can do it on a micro and you could find clever ways to tap into cultural moments, cultural trends. Um, and I think that stuff is, is super valuable. And I think that's the sort of stuff that can often like kind of go viral,
1: right? So what are some businesses or promoters that you, that you're into in terms of the way that they deliver content?
0: Um, I think on the promotion side, um, I love what Elro is doing. I mean, I think Elro is interesting. I mean, they're a major party promotion company that has like a touring event series that goes all around the world. I mean, they create really just fun, engaging content around their, their shows. I think they have a very unique live experience. And then I think beyond that too, I mean, they're crushing it on the ad side, um, and then they also do a great job at like SMS marketing. Like they'll get text mm-hmm. promoting shows. I think it's interesting to see people. I think SMS is like going back to what we we're saying about underpriced attention, paying for shout outs on Instagram right. pages. I think SMS right now is like underpriced attention. I think it's a big opportunity. I think five to 10 years from now, it's going to be a lot more competitive. There'll be a lot of other people um, that are sharing stuff and promoting stuff via SMS. Um, so I love what they're doing there.
1: Um, last question. How active should you be on social media?
0: Yeah, I think you should try and post daily across your feed, multiple times a day, across multiple your stories. Multiple times a day. Across your stories. Okay, okay. Um Yeah. I mean, I think you can definitely go down. Um, but I think the account I mean, you look at certain artists, they're posting like three to five times a day. World Star Hip Hop posts like fifty times a day, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. it's absolutely crazy. But World Star yeah. Hip Hop is also like one of the biggest, most engaged Instagram pages i'm not saying you guys need to post 50 times a day but i'm just putting it in perspective i think like one post a day is a very realistic target that i think you should just set as a standard and stick with it i think you get timely organic fun content but then you also start to stockpile filler content for those times when you might not be doing something crazy that's going to justify a cool opportunity to post dope well thanks sam appreciate you man definitely definitely um, well guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in as always. I think we want to start bringing in more questions from the audience and even asking them to upcoming guests. I know we got some awesome guests coming up, so definitely uh check us out at Music Business Podcast on Instagram. Hit us uh comments, DMs with different questions. We'd love to answer your questions yeah, on the show and your your feedback uh is super helpful as we continue to improve this. Yeah, hit my line too. Hit my line 646-760-1914. Hit my line, shoot me a text. There we go. There we go. All right. Uh, On that note, thank you guys so much. All right, Sam. All right, Jordan. We out. I took your line. We out. I set you up. (laughs) There we go. All right, peace.